isn't it funny when you talk with people, whatever stock or investment they were interested in, the thing was already on a rocket ship and probably at an all-time high, and then they just want to grab onto it. Right. Ride it for a little more. Because it's going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. But back when there were thing like, things like malls that you would go into and you'd go shopping in a mall. Mm. But when you walk into your favorite store and you see something that's on sale, that's generally an ex- that's exciting. Because you're like, well, I, I wanted that thing, and now it's 20% off. Hello. You're talking to the world's like greatest spendaholic. When I see a sale at Nordstrom, you're spaving. Uh, I'm losing money if I don't buy three of those today. Right. And yet the stock market is one of the few things I've ever experienced in life that people only want to buy it when it's not just on full price, but it's at a premium. Oh, we should get in the stock business then. That's That'd be a good business model. Bear markets are, generally speaking, opportunities. Yes. It's the equivalent of you walking into Nordstrom and seeing your favorite, whatever it is, 20% off. Absolutely. <laughs> What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's the relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. The theme for today is we thought we would bring the show back into the financial realm for a moment and talk a little bit about the recent market volatility as it is healthy, kind of like the spring rains and winter snow. Yet we tend to forget. We tend to forget the importance of it. We tend to forget that it can happen. Most of our clients, most people that I talk to have been lulled into submission on corrections can happen. So Wait, they can? Oh, yeah. You mean the market just doesn't go up every day and right. real estate prices just don't go up every day? Uh-huh. Wow. So we were going to talk a little bit about that. We were going to talk a little bit about our asset management process in that it's a concept that we use quite a bit called addition by subtraction, where we don't own everything. And I a client video a couple of Fridays ago where I had some fun. I was I was looking for a parallel to the fact that modern portfolio theory came out in the 50s. Harry Markowitz in the 50s is the one that pioneered modern portfolio theory with buy, hold, and hope. We're going to talk about some of the reasons why, not a bear market per se, but a correction is healthy. As you climb this you know, wall of worry, why, why, why do these things happen? Well, we get worried about stuff. What do we get worried about? Well, the looming threat of interest rates. You know, is somebody in this country invading that country? We'll just keep it. We'll keep it agnostic because it's timeless. Yeah. So whether it be China's invading Taiwan or yeah, whoever, somebody's it is. on the brink of invading somebody else. Inflation worries, earnings comparisons. What can you do about this? Yeah. Okay. And that's why our approach is we plan for it. We plan for it, not in the sense of. We know exactly when this is going to happen, but in the planning work, we don't use market rate returns. We don't use everything being rainbows and butterflies. We're trying to build worst case scenarios in that classic sense of a lifeboat drill so that if these things do happen at the most inopportune time, like the year before you retire, Mm -hmm. the year after you retire, Mm -hmm. you're still okay. Yeah. I have two questions, hanging chads. One... How do we, and this is the challenge, I think, for the conversation, because this podcast is not an advertisement for Gebhardt Group. Bear markets, bull markets. 
night and day, light and dark. Star Wars, right? What's the movie Star Wars all about? Is it about the battle of good versus evil? No. It's one man's inner battle with his dark side. And once he embraces the dark side and stops fearing it and running away from it, he's fully integrated and becomes the Jedi warrior we always knew he was capable of being. The bear market's the dark side of the market. Why are we always afraid of it? As soon as we stop being afraid of it, it... It's scary. I know it's scary, but let's look at it for what it really is. I can't look at it. It's scary. I know, but it's here to stay. No, just, it's not. It's going to go away. Oh, six episodes of Star Wars tells me it doesn't go away. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I when want we keep it to go away. away. I know. So did Luke Skywalker. Here we are in studio in 2022. Is this the first time we've been in studio? I got lost coming here today. I kind of forgot how to get here. This is awesome. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It feels like forever. We have been very excited to get into the studio. We've we got lots of good stuff on the drawing board. We not do. just for today. Yeah. Uh, but in general, but as we always like to kick off our the beginning of the show here, what's on the old gratitude list today? Well, thank you for asking. I'm grateful for change. I used to be scared of change. Like when you go, you know, you pay for the 20 and you get you change. Get, you get change back. Yeah, no, I'm not grateful for that kind of change because then it weighs my pockets down. I am grateful for change. It's constant. Change just always seems to be happening. And I'm grateful to be back here in the studio with you. Because our world is changing, and we haven't been here in a little while. I always find our time here together just so helpful. It's very therapeutic just to sit here with a couple of microphones and riff a little bit on, on what's going on Everybody in the Everybody should try that, by the way. Oh, Just buy two microphones and talk to one another across a table. It just it feels different, and it feels very cathartic. It's some of the best therapy in the world. But what being here today is really helping me with is is a lot of the change that's going on in the world. And I'm just, I'm grateful that I'm able to embrace change and not be so afraid of the unknown and what may or may not happen tomorrow. It's almost starting to turn into like a little bit of an excitement thing, like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's kind of cool. Just kind of showing up in the day and as your mom would say, let's see what the day brings. I've really, ever since you told me that, ever since I heard you first say, one of my mom's favorite lines in the whole world is, well, we'll just see what the day brings. Correct. That has had so much impact on my life. I think, it ha- I've, I think I've heard you say it a thousand times. At so least. It, it's, uh, those padisms are sticky. Oh, very sticky. So I'm, I'm grateful for your mom. I'm grateful for change. And I'm grateful for how your mom and her saying has helped me embrace change with a whole new outlook in life. I mean, most people love change, don't they? Absolutely. Probably right. more the change that's clinging in their pockets, though. Gotcha. What are you grateful for today, brother? I'll go with my mom. Ooh. I'll go with, I have two. That I will certainly start with my mom and all the little, you know, padisms that exist. I keep saying we're going to write a book of them one day. You know, the, the fact that I don't really feel any maladies today, which is one of her favorite words, <laughs> straight out of the 1947 <laughs> hymnal. And, you know, in, in that vein of, of health, I, I broke a record today. You did. I have not weighed 249 pounds, so think about that for a second in your own terms, what 249 pounds looks like. I've not weighed that, I'm guessing, in about 30 years. Where were you at your top? What was the most you weighed? 279. Wow. So we're, we're down 30. We're down 30, and it's, it's over a year. I haven't weighed above 270 in over a year. Oh, so you mean you haven't crashed dieted in the last 30 days? This nope. isn't like since January 1st and you had a this resolution is, that said I'm going to lose 30 pounds gentlemen, before a, February 14th. This is not a crash. This has been a very, did you call me a lady? Dare I say, intentional approach to health. 
And this has not been a quick fix. This has not been hit the gym hard for a 21-day... Pukathon? Mm-hmm. This has been slow and steady wins the race. What I'm noticing is that discipline spills over into a variety of different areas of life, both that I, I've experienced personally, but I'm also going to share some gratitude with a client that I met with last night who, when I first met her probably five years ago, had no financial muscle musculature whatsoever. Zero. No financial literacy. Didn't Zero. Didn't know anything about Zero. money. 50-year-old woman, single, knew nothing about money. And what she has done in the span of those five years, if I, if I had told her, over the next five years, I need you to save 300 grand. <laughs> right? I think you might have said that to me once before. You would go running out of my office. Uh-huh. Who's the, you're a lunatic. Right. I can't. There's no... Well, she did. Wow. She did. But in the book, you talk about the 1% difference. What book? Financial Sobriety. Ah, that book. The book. The book. The 1% difference is exactly what has impacted my health. The 1% difference is exactly what has impacted this client in her ability to constantly just ratchet up and ratchet up and ratchet up and ratchet up her savings. So she's just doing a lot of little things right. That was what was so beautiful and why, as I was expressing earlier in our pre-call, that I wish it could have been recorded. I wish there would have been a video of the conversation because she was very unaware of all these little 1% corrections. Hmm. And we talked about, you know, why the plane's always on autopilot. And, well, because to hand fly it, those little adjustments would be so fine and minute. Oh, carpal tunnel by the end of the flight. That that's why they do it. Yeah. It's not that a pilot is lazy. It's that if they want to stay on track as much as they possibly can. Autopilot makes autopilot those adjustments. makes the adjustments. Right. In her world, these little 1% adjustments are things like $63 a week comes out of her paycheck and goes into her 401k. I said, okay, if you, if you bump that to 83 or 93, are you going to feel it? Oh, no. Okay, well, here's what that does for you over a long period of time by making that very minute adjustment that you don't. You don't really. You're not going to feel thirty bucks a week pre-tax coming out of your paycheck. But it's exponential when you hallelujah when you project it out a while and you use this eighth wonder of the world called the magic of compound interest. Thank you, uh, Doctor Einstein. There you go. Whether it be your health, whether it be your finances, whether it be your relationship with self, I am grateful for the reminder of the one percent difference and that Shave you don't. Ounces, baby. You don't have to make. Radical changes. Yeah, I mean, I haven't stopped eating. Right. I was to say you. I had a glass of wine last night with Beth when I came home. I haven't had a glass of wine, and I couldn't tell you when. But I was like, you know what? I we need to do this. Great. Okay. It didn't derail me. But it was an intentional act. It wasn't like you ran through the door and just grabbed a glass of wine because it was habitual and it's something you're used to doing. Correct. You intentionally made a decision that today, I'm going to. Yeah, I can't have a glass of wine. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of intentionality. Hmm. Whatever on whatever the subject, fill in the blank on whatever the subject is. You've been emphasizing it with me for a long time. Yeah, I'm grateful for. And it. when I when I get to experience it, not just myself, when it comes to my finances and my health, but then I start to see it in clients that we're working with. Who, you know, it's been a while since I've seen this client. COVID and everything else that's popped up, but. 
God bless her. We we sat face to face in our conference room, and she brought all of her statements and our stuff, and we went through it all. She was almost on the edge of tears when she saw how much money she had accumulated. And I and I don't I, I'm not saying it this way to diminish it at all without even trying, hmm. because she was absolutely trying. Sure, absolutely trying. She was being intentional, but it didn't seem like trying. She has rescued a, a dog. In COVID, that has had significant health challenges. She's paid for those health challenges. So, I mean, she's been able to do things that she's wanted to do in her life, not sacrificing her saving strategy is part of the reason I'm explaining that story. Sure. It's not like it's not like I've stopped eating. Yeah. Right? You're just eating differently. I'm eating differently. You're being very mindful when you eat. You're not allowing yourself to get crazy ravenous hungry where all of a sudden now you're hangry. And you're running around like a lunatic trying to feed yourself whatever you can possibly get your hands on. That right? that mindfulness, that yeah. intentionality, it just it starts to have a spillover effect into other areas of life. Yeah. So perhaps our longest gratitude open ever, but there you have it. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. It's spectacular to hear about this profound change that can happen in this client's life, and I know who you're talking about, by just doing a couple simple things like the way we say it is no longer dropping nickels and shaving ounces, right? Very simple, small. Those are two concepts, by the way. Two two different concepts, right. Ab- absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the idea of shaving ounces, which is just little incremental changes. Yeah, canceling one of your six different subscription television agreements. Exactly. For eight ninety nine a month. Right, shaving ounces. I mean- Cousin David, I'll always go back and credit him with that concept of shaving ounces that he taught me when we were out hiking in in Yosemite a bunch of years ago. I love the story. And it's just, it was habit for him. We were only out on the trail for five days together, but because he's what you call a through hiker, meaning he's hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. Not the throughway in New York. Not the throughway, although you cross- Highway 90, you cross Buffalo to the, it really matches the Erie Canal. True. Because, I mean, you and I know the Erie Canal, but everybody else is like- is that covered in fourth grade? <laughs> no, California we do, we history. Do the mis- we do the missions in California. Yeah, and we do the Erie Canal no in missions. New York. There are no missions in upstate and central and western New York. No, but there is an Erie Canal, and the Appalachian Trail does cross the New York State Thruway. By the way, but something that became muscle memory for him on the trail was as he would go along, and I, I noticed this in Yosemite. The very first night we got to camp, he snapped the wooden handle off of his toothbrush and threw it in the fire, and then proceeded to brush his teeth. Huh? Curious. Then, as we sat down by the fire and he opened up this paperback book he brought to read, each page he would finish, he would rip the page out and throw it in the fire. Was he reading The Scarlet Letter? No, no. I don't don't remember what he was reading. He might have been reading A Walk in the Woods, which is a great story about life on the Appalachian Trail. My curiosity was killing me. I asked him, David, what, what are you doing? He said, oh, nothing, just shaving ounces. It's habit. What do you mean shaving ounces? And that's when he explained to me, when you take a through hike on the Appalachian Trail where you're carrying stuff on your back for six months, if every day you can shave an ounce, what happens over time is you wind up lightening your load by pounds, and it takes so much pressure off your knees and your hips and your back, and it just it builds up over time. And boy, isn't that an incredible analogy to life, because I don't know about you, I've been walking through life putting rocks in my backpack as you know, I accumulate all these experiences in life— kind of wrote a book about that. And what, then what book? Financial Sobriety, oh, the book. Good. The book, right. 
And, you know, here we are learning in life how to shave ounces, how to shave ounces financially, how to shave ounces with our weight, how to be intentional. You're making about me really hungry. Each day. I know. I, I kind of came in this morning hungry. Well, it, but it, Nick's tacos? Uh, uh, no. Oh, gosh, no. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to a, a very wild night that you and I had in New York City a number of years ago with shaved oh. truffles. Oh. And I'm just, I'm watching him shaving the truffles on top of this very gluttonous pasta dish that we ordered not realizing the expense of what a real shaved truffle would cost. So every time you say shaving ounces, you think of our shaved I'm, truffle. I'm life. thinking of shaved truffles, to be very honest with you. You know what I'm incredibly proud of about you as you share that story? I watched you as you just kind of relive that moment. And what I'm really proud of you is that you can look back at your past without having to shut the door on it, without having to feel so much shame over what that was because of where you are, because of how you've embraced this new intentionality. We can look back on that time and laugh and smile and have a blast because we did have a really good time. Oh, yeah. And it was the first and only time and perhaps the last time I'll ever have shaved truffles on a meal, but that's okay. Yes. It was... It, and. I found a restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona that does that around the holidays. So when ah, we go visit our clients that are down there, gotcha. you and I are going to be having shaved truffle on top of our very, very modest portion Gluten-free pasta. pasta? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So what are we really here to talk about today? Well, the time of this episode is, as I think with a lot of our episodes, is, is somewhat timeless. Yeah. We've had a spat of volatility in the market. Do you remember what that's like? Volatility. Yeah. Oh, that's the up and down and the Yeah, like on the roller coaster yeah, when yeah. you go up and down. Yeah. I kind of forgot that this happens. Uh, I think a lot of people have. Oh. I just thought markets went straight up. We've all been a little bit lulled into submission on this concept of well, markets just go up. I've gotten some of the best stock advice I've ever gotten from some of the teenagers in my life. They are so smart right now, or at least they were prior to the start of 2022. Gotcha. They seemed really smart to me because everybody seemed to be giving me all these incredible ideas that all you needed to do was throw a couple thousand bucks at it, and it was almost like clockwork. It would just go up. Sure. God, it felt like 1999 again. Well. How cool was that? And in certain parts of the market, it's been like 2000 again. So, you know, the general public service announcement here is that it is going to rain, at certain times during the year. Even in Northern California? It is going to snow at certain times of the year, depending on where you are. And it does snow in Northern California, just it happens to be up in the Sierras. Yeah. I thought it would be good for us to talk a little bit about how these things happen, why these things happen. And I'm pretty sure you're in alignment with my thinking on this, that they're actually healthy, right? Here in Northern California, we've been having a drought for a number of years. Sure. Droughts, not sustainable. Right? Water's kind of an important thing. In the same regard, we've had a, a different kind of a drought in the stock market, right? It has been just a lovely 72-degree sunny afternoon with very little discomfort, very little rain, very little weather, wind, any of it. Any of it. And in the same way that when the rain comes, we should be grateful, I really would like to train people to start to think that when these, uh, when these situations happen— it's healthy. It's healthy because no no different than when the rains come, right? We we need rain to refill the buckets, right? Sure. Re- refill the lakes and the reservoirs and the streams and the grass and the plants. And the same applies to the stock market. You know how much 
people walk around with just, you know, volumes and volumes of financial education on their shoulders. Oh, they give it away free on the street corners here in Yeah, so, I mean, we probably don't need to talk at all about educating people on things like bear markets and bull markets because they they already know this stuff. No, we're just doing this for each other. And for Ace, who's in, in virtual studio with us today, and for Sawyer, who's actually in studio with us today. So we'll just... We'll just make this a private little conversation amongst the four of us because I, too, kind of forgot what it felt like to lose money, to see markets go down. Right. So, because we've been we've been trained as most – I don't want to say trained as investors, but isn't it funny when you talk with people like the teenagers you were referencing? Whatever stock or investment they were interested in, the thing was already on a rocket ship and probably at an all-time high, and then they just want to grab onto it. Right. Ride it for a little more because it's going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. But back when there were thing like, things like malls that you would go into and you'd go shopping in a mall, mm. I haven't done that in a long time. We got one of those up the street if you want to okay, go for we old might, time's sake. We might try that. Sure. But when you walk into your favorite store and you see something that's on sale, that's generally... And that's exciting because you're like, well, I I wanted that thing, and now it's twenty percent off. Hello, you're talking to the world's like greatest spendaholic. When I see a sale at Nordstrom, you're spaving. Uh, I'm losing money if I don't buy three of those today. Right, right, right. And oh. yet, and yet, the stock market is one of the few things I've ever experienced in life that people only want to buy it what's in a, when it's not just on not just full price, but it's at a premium. Oh, we should get in the stock business then. That's that'd be a good business model. Bear markets are generally speaking opportunities. Yes. It's the equivalent of you walking into Nordstrom and seeing your favorite whatever it is 20% off. Absolutely. And you know, we've talked about nutrition and health and I had some fun a couple of weeks ago looking at kind of nutritional guidelines from the 1950s. Because a lot of what you and I were trained to do, you know, from a classic asset management standpoint, came out of the 50s. Thank you, Harry Markowitz. Modern, yeah. modern portfolio theory. Modern. Look them up. Wikipedia, Investopedia, whatever Pedia you want, Pedia Lite, Pedia, whatever. Harry Markowitz is credited with being the grandfather of modern portfolio theory. So take us on a little loop around the track. What is modern portfolio theory? Oh, well, uh, thanks for asking, Bob. Modern portfolio theory is an academically driven theory. So it, what I mean by that is it's something that was created in, in effect, a university classroom based on math formulas of what we knew in the 1950s to be true about the behavior of stock markets. What modern portfolio theory basically tells us from 30,000 feet is that 91% of all the returns we're going to get in our investment accounts are based on the actual asset allocation that we have our money exposed to. What's asset allocation? There are approximately, let's call it 40, different slices of the market, sectors of the market, different types of flavors. Stock. Yeah, flavors, stocks, Baskin bonds. and Robbins, 31 flavors. Yeah, large caps, mid caps, small caps, U.S. stocks, Foreign stocks, emerging market stocks, you've got... Mid-cap, small-cap. Yeah, value versus growth. I mean, all of these different ways that our industry slices up what we commonly refer to as the stock market. And what, what Harry Markowitz came up with, which worked for a long time, was the idea that the majority of how successful you are is based upon that actual asset allocation. 
where only 9% of your long-term returns would actually come from the individual securities you owned or the timing with which you purchased those securities. And that was the methodology that our industry bought hook, line, and sinker from the very top of the Wall Street firms all the way down to the little Main Street financial advisors, stockbrokers, and insurance people that were out trying to guide clients on their money. So in effect, if you had $10,000 or $100,000 or $100 million, it didn't matter. The idea was that you were supposed to allocate your money across every potential sector that you could possibly get access to with the thought being that not every sector goes up all the time. And you want to make sure that you have some money exposed to what's going up. And then the, sit back and just relax watch. and enjoy the show. Yeah, I mean, think of it the way it used to be explained to me was if you think about the eight-cylinder engine in your car, not all eight cylinders are firing at the same time to get your car going. So, you know, what would happen to the engine block of your car if all eight cylinders fired at the same time? It sounds like it'd be bad. And it would probably crash the the engine block. And and this is how we used to sell that conceptually to clients. It just it made sense. We have no idea which is going to be next year's winner or loser. So let's just go out there, own them all. We'll ride the market waves up and down and hope one day that when we need to live on this money that we've had invested, it'll actually work out for us. That in a nutshell is modern portfolio theory. And it's what nearly the majority, at least that you and I are aware of, of the 400-some-odd thousand financial people in America today rely on to help them guide clients with their investment decisions. Well, let's face it. It would be complicated to do something else. Sure. Right? And so 1950s technology, when it applies to this, I had, I had some fun just looking at what other thought processes came out of the 50s as well, and I stumbled across some nutritional guidelines. Well, that's very apropos given where you are today. Yeah. And I had a heck of a lot of fun uh, looking at these because I could not believe what I was reading. So what were the biggest recommendations so in the, the two, 1950s? The, the two that really got me. Yeah. And one applied to women and one applied to men. Okay. So th this was the absolute practice standard of the day that as a woman, if you wanted to know your proper height and proper weight... Which I think this is relevant for you today because for you to get where you are today, you had to know where you were. So measuring where you were and measuring your progress was an important thing. So how, how would we measure where we were back in the 1950s? In the 1950s for a woman, you were to be fully clothed wearing two-inch heels. And then you step on the scale. And then you stepped on the scale. And that's an accurate depiction of your weight and height and all that good in stuff? In the 1950s. Nice. For a man... You also stepped on the scale fully clothed, wearing both your top coat and your top hat, fedora, whatever you, subject, you know, fill in the blank on whatever hat you wanted to wear. Wow. That was the thinking. That was the rationale. I seem to remember in the 1950s, too, not that I was alive back then, that cigarette smoking was also somewhat popular back then. A wee bit. As was the recommendation that a little bit of liquor would be good for you as well. Sure. All sorts of really cool ideas. And it's just... How about margarine? A margarine. Much better alternative to the fat in butter. Sure. Right? A natural substance. Ooh. We, I mean, we could go off on this for quite a while. <laughs> but Do we still just, subscribe to that today? Well, it's just, it, it just it's, as you look back at it, it's laughable, right? Yeah. When I shared this, this concept with clients, 
a lot of the feedback I got was just, you know, thank God we've evolved from there. Sure. But yet in our world, in investment management, investment planning, financial planning, wealth management, whatever you want to call it, most haven't. Most, most have not. Most have not evolved past the technology from 70 years ago of modern portfolio theory. And where, not so modern anymore, huh? Well, modern might not be the, the appropriate adjective. Yeah. Ancient might be a word that comes to mind for me. Methuselah's portfolio theory. So as you and I do what we do, part of our mission here is to help educate. We've ranted at various times on the show, even today a little bit, and I'm glad to rant more on the lack of financial education that exists in this country at all levels. Bring it. Come on, rant more. And whether it be be adults that I met with yesterday in their 50s and 60s who feel even at that stage of life they have very little financial acumen, down to my goddaughters who are triplets who I did a Zoom session with a couple of weeks ago and rocked their socks on just kind of the basics of finance 101. Yeah. We spend no time preparing young adults, let alone adults, but adults can go hire people. Young adults would really struggle to do that. And there's platforms today that are trying to help raise the bar on that. And I, I admire all that's going on there. But for so many young adults, they get dumped out of the educational process and now they got a job and they've got no training. They have no training. They have no understanding of money. They have no understanding of debt. They have no understanding of how to save, where to save, what to save, all of those things. And when they do go out and eventually learn one day, they're given strategies that are 70 years old. Correct. That were strategies that were developed probably towards the end of their great-grandparents' lifetime and the beginning of the savings period of their grandparents' time. Because our issue, and I mean you and me, our issue with modern portfolio theory is we only get one lap around the track. We only get, we only get one chance to go through a decade of fill-in-the-blank, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Right. You can't redo any of those decades in your life. So let's pick on a hypothetical couple, Bob and Martha. And they have been you know, good savers and investors their whole lives. They're now 65 years old, and they are on the edge of retirement. Okay? Yeah. They've indicated to you, me, or their advisor somewhere that they are now ready to retire. Yeah, we've met one or two Bob and Marthas. And what I thought would be interesting is to just look at this little correction that we've had here. We're sitting here on February 9th of 2022, and this correction started uh, right around the beginning of the year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And these are different indexes, or as our dear friend John would say, indices. Indices. I was waiting for that. So the S&P 500, any guesses on how much that is down in the last 40 days? Oh, boy. I'm going to guess uh, 10-ish. Yeah. Good Good on you. Ooh. 10 on the button. Down 10% year to date. Yeah. So that's officially correction territory. In 40 days. Wow. How about the Dow? This the, is the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, what so is 30, often considered the bellwether of the 30 largest stocks in the United States. Right. Well, that's generally a little less severe than the S&P, so I'm going to call it like 8%, down oh, 8%. Oh, you are, you are just, you are Hall of Fame averages right now, batting 1,000. Yeah? Yeah, 7.5. Wow. Uh, but price is right. I went over. I lost. Down, so the Dow is down 7.5% year to date. Wow. Yep. Wow. Uh, how about our friends at NASDAQ? These are known as, you know, the slightly more aggressive, slightly more techie, slightly more risky. Like your Facebooks, Apples, Netflix, all those, Googles, all those guys, NVIDIAs, all, all the big tech Gesundheit. stocks. You're welcome. 
Uh, that's down a little more. I'm going to go uh, 12 or 13 percent on that. Ah, yes. Good attempt. Good attempt. Down 17 percent. Oy vey, Izmir, gazooked. Wow. 17 percent in that's, 40 days. That's encroaching uh, bear market territory. Okay. Wow. And last but not least, our friends at the Russell. So Russell 2000 is an index of 2,000 stocks. This now goes beyond the big household names that you're going to be familiar with into terrain where as you get into those last 1,000 or last you know 500, you're probably not going to know very many of these companies at all. So it's a broader index. So of, of the publicly traded companies in America, let me just make sure we're all clear. The S&P 500 are the 500 largest companies in America. The next 2,000 in size are what make up this index you're talking about called the Russell 2000. Yes. So, those so are it's the a broader. Smaller, it's broader. They're smaller. They're a little bit more nimble. I'm guessing, More aggressive. Well, and I'm guessing those are the types of companies that probably rely on their ability to borrow to be able to raise capital and be successful and, and pay their employees and, and grow, right? So periods like this where interest rates are on the rise and inflation's on the rise – Perhaps they don't have as much access to be successful. So I'm going to say those guys are hurting right now. I'm, I'm going to guess they're down like 15. Almost. Again, down We're, 21. Holy mama. So you just walked into Nordstrom, and your favorite ensemble, or I've, I've, I'm a little more woke than I used to be, and my kids <laughs> have told me the word fit, right? Uh, your favorite fit when you walk into the joint uh, is, down, is on sale 21% today. How'd you get to Nordstrom? Did you drive the new whip? I did. There you go. You look like at that? you. Uh -huh. <laughs> We're both all Gen Z today. So, I mean, inherently, people look at it in terms of their portfolio, and they go, oh, no, the sky's falling. But yet opportunity, the opportunist would say that if I had some cash lying around, this might be a lovely time to go shopping. Sure. I mean, there, there's two kinds of people we got to talk about, I think. Here. And we haven't forgotten Bob and Martha. I'm coming right. back. I'm coming back say, to them. Because Bob and Martha, who are pretty close to retirement, Ooh. probably don't have a lot of cash to go take advantage of the sale at Nordstrom right now. Yeah, and, but now they got a hold. And and they got a whole bunch of money exposed to this stuff. And so when markets go on sale, that for them could become really problematic. No. It could be very problematic, particularly if they're on the cusp of retiring. Because in the in the classic conventional sense of retiring, we no longer have a paycheck. And whatever we've got in the bank is now what we're going to live off of and slice that across the line. If you had... Well, the paycheck we get is not enough. The paycheck Social Security. But who do you know that can live everything they want to live in retirement on Social Security? That's challenging. Right. So I'm sure some can, but that's challenging. And I would imagine those who can and do probably, if they were being honest with themselves, would wish they had a little bit more cash flow to right. be able to experience life a little more the way they drew it up. So in a classic modern portfolio theory asset allocation model. Yeah. How's Bob and Martha you would doing have, here today? You would have a slice of this and that and this and that, right? Well, we didn't talk about international. International is actually down a little bit less in this period, but it's been down longer, a lot longer before that. Mm. They'd be down in the 12 to 15% range. Wow. And approaching retirement, I would imagine they'd be a little com a little more uncomfortable thinking about cutting the cord from the monthly paycheck and now relying on this asset to cover the income gap that Social Security's not getting. Which is why you and I talk about buy, hold, and hope. Hope. Ooh. Hope. I love hope, but... Well, hope is an absolute necessity in life, but when it comes to investing, it's not a very good strategy. <laughs> I mean, right. it's, it, it, we have to have hope in our world. If, sure. we don't, if we don't have hope, 
call it. You but, just call time of death now, right. right? But when it comes to investing, you've got to have something more than hope because because for our, our fictitious friends here, Bob and Martha, on, on a meaningful enough portfolio where they could reasonably retire, they are probably freaked out right now. Yeah. And the lack of preparedness for the fact that these things happen, right, storms happen, and we always talk about the buy, hold, and hope because you have to hope that the timing works out, that when you need this money, it's all there and then some. And it's in the middle of a bull market. You're retiring in the middle of sure. goodness, not in— We could do a, a week-long episode on client stories of people that we met after 08. I can go back to 2000 with the internet bubble and tell yeah. stories on those folks. Oh, yeah. Where the timing—because the emphasis is always on the timing of trying to time the market relative to an investment— I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about here is the timing in your life. Right. No, that's clear. Because you don't get to repeat your 60s. Yeah. And if the timing is off and you're relying on hope, what in the world are you going to do? Are you going to keep working? Well, yeah, you might have to. And I want to go back to something before we move forward on on this point of what you're bringing up here. The fact that people like Bob and Martha, A— are unprepared for this environment that's happening today, yet we just spent the first, I don't know, minute two or three of the beginning of the episode talking about how normal this environment is. I mean, we don't live in a vacuum, right? Let, let, let's just bring in some basic high school physics here. Everything that exists in this world, there's all sorts of scientific theory that's been taught to us where every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? Where, and I guess another way to put that is, what always follows daytime? Nighttime. What always follows spring and summer? Fall and winter. I mean, you look at the clock that's up there on the wall behind us, and it's this circular thing that keeps going around and around and around, kind of repeating the same behaviors over and over. Our stock market and our economy is no different. When we experience a full economic cycle, in our world, in, our, in the United States, in our own communities, in the state of California where we live, a full economic cycle includes expansion and contraction. It's a normal part of the process. It includes summer, winter, fall, and spring. Exactly. It's in the stock market. Bull markets can't exist without bear markets. They're part of the fabric of how it works. And to think that people like Bob and Martha are approaching retirement with fear over something we know is going to happen, it's a healthy part of the process. That we have no control over when it happens. No control, yet we come into it so unprepared and with so much fear, and then if the timing is off, that fear translates to that lack of preparedness, which translates to something has got to change about my retirement, where maybe I can't retire when I want to, or I can't retire the way I want to, simply because I didn't anticipate something I know to be true and is going to happen. I don't get that. Well, and we've also seen folks that don't necessarily have a plan, or they don't have a co-pilot to help them. They can often make a very bad decision at that time, right? They can make, a, they can make an investment decision based on emotion, which is panic, I'm out. They sell a slice. They sell a big slice. They sell. We've we've met people that have sold the whole banana. Yeah. And now you've got a very different set of challenges because, as we have start to see seen in certain parts of the market, things starting to come back, kind of like spring as it follows winter. You start to see the buds on the trees and there's hope again. And we talk so much about 
in our private practice about lifeboat drills. Hey, I, brother, brother, great. Hold, hold it. We got a holy cow. What you just said was fabulous. But we need to pause there because there's so much more here to unpack, to talk about, to realize. We don't want to do too much in one sitting. So let's push pause here. Let's pick up the second half of the conversation tomorrow morning. Deal? Deal. Awesome. See you then. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.